into John 14. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the truth of your word. These are very comforting words, uh, very encouraging words, because in, in John 14, we get a glimpse into the future for those who are in Christ. And it is um, just a splendid, amazing reality and truth. And so we thank you for, for that. We thank you uh, not that you recognized anything in us, but that you have chosen uh, of your own um, uninfluenced will to call some to yourself and to redeem them and to reconcile them and to not just bring us, as it were, to zero balance with you, but a positive balance that uh, that will take all eternity to explore the riches of, of what you have called us to and to think that you share your throne and your your glory with us uh, who are in Christ is just mind-boggling. Help us to be again these things and to remember, first of all, for our own lives, wherever we've been this past week, whether it's a good week or maybe just another week or maybe it's been a terrible week to remember that our joy is not in the circumstances but is in you we can have the joy of heaven now if we will live in that and we thank you for this truth in Jesus name Amen. Amen. all right let's open again already to John 14 John 14 begins kind of in earnest the upper room discourse uh, actually, it kind of, I mean, really um, starts with verse 31 of the prior chapter. But this section that we're in where the disciples have a dialogue with Jesus uh, throughout the chapter, chapter 14, uh, that, that sort of dialogue begins with verse 36 of the prior chapter, right? Where Peter's the first one who speaks, and, and he... Um, he says, uh, referencing verse 33, remember verse 33 was one of a series of, of punches, if you will, from the Lord that has, has taken them from this excitement that they were that they were feeling when they walked into the room, being assured of the fact that he is Messiah, and that's true. But <laughs> believing that he was he was what the Messiah had been presented to them since the time they were old enough to understand language, right? Uh, and that is what we summarize by saying the triumphalistic Messiah, that he was coming to <clears throat> take over the throne of, of not just Israel, but really the whole world, right? And to rule the world and to restore um, the curse and so forth. It's probably, or to, re to reverse the curse of society. Is probably good for me to mention this point because this is what our next our next point is in our outline. This title reveals Jesus reveals the mystery of dwelling with God that all saints will enjoy eventually. Yes. To mention that they they weren't entirely wrong, right? A Jesus is the Messiah. They got that right, and B. Lots of Old Testament passages offer tremendous words of hope. And I know that, that you know, you, you, you read any of the, 
read this, the prophets, right? Major, minor prophets, uh, particularly Zephaniah. Uh, but, you know, right there at the tail end, I was just reading this past week, uh, Isaiah 54. And it was, I mean, it's just tremendous to read these the things that God says he's going to do for the nation and also for the world. And even, even outside the prophets where, where Jehovah God, Yahweh, the covenant-making God uh, told Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through your seed, right? So they, were, they weren't entirely wrong about that. It's just that the thing that they didn't know that you might call a, what scripture calls a mystery. A mystery in scripture is not an enigma that's, ooh, you know, if you're smart enough, maybe you can solve this. That's not what it means. What it means is this is truth that was hidden in the past that God kept to himself, but now in, in God's fullness of time as he unrolls the, the plan that he has instituted from the beginning, okay, as he unfolds that, you see things now that you didn't know then. And so um, this is what Jesus is, is doing here is he's uh, un unpacking this and he's giving them some insight into what is coming that the Jews called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So if you read um, Matthew's gospel, he doesn't say kingdom of God, it's just kingdom of heaven, right? <laughs> the other gospels say kingdom of God, but it's just synonymous. It's the same thing. And it's what it's what was on Nicodemus's heart when he had that conversation way back in chapter three, right? And and Jesus knows that and he 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 hits Nicodemus's sore spot by saying, Unless you're born again, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And uh and so but what is they had this sort of vague, maybe not I don't want to say vague because some of the some of the Old Testament prophecies are pretty specific about what's going to happen. What they didn't understand that we understand now is that the kingdom, as they understood it, that is the fulfillment of the temporal covenants, is only part of this larger plan. They didn't really, I mean, even though it says right there at the very end of, of um, Isaiah that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. They kind of, you know, how does that blend in and how, you know, so we have the advantage of books like Revelation, right, uh, that, that, that help us understand that. So I say all that to say, all that to say, that's, that's kind of the thinking behind point two on our outline, okay? And that, and that is, as we move on in this chapter, last time we looked at verse one, right, which he says, let not your hearts now, notice he's not just talking to Peter anymore. It's plural. Yeah. He's, it's plural, right? He's shifted to talk to all of them. And you see that in the King James where, where it says the word ye, right? You, you know, today we just say you, and it could be a singular, it could be a plural, but it is plural. Let, let, let not, ESV says hearts. Some translations are singular there, but uh, it is it is plural, uh, the, the, the words here. Uh, let not your hearts be troubled, right? And we talked about that's all we did last time was that one verse, but there's so much there. So much there, right? And we did a word study on that word trouble <clears throat> and found out that it can mean agitated, right? Um, uh, or, or um, let's see, I think I actually spell it out in here. And I forget that word. Agitated and stirred up um, is, is another one, another way of translating it. Um, it, it, it means an emotional 
a, it refers to a strong mental and emotional, let me put it this way, a strong emotional reaction to what you now see or have heard mentally, right? So I say that because, you know, emotions are weird, right? Emotions sometimes, you ever get up and you get started on, on, on the day and it's like, you're just like really happy and you don't know why it's just like man i feel good and i'm just you know i have my whatever and and maybe even you got something that you were to face that day that you're dreading right before but now you feel like you're ready for it and then other times you get up and you're like you're feeling like eeyore and this is and there's no, there's no circumstantial reason for it it's just your emotions right but this word uh and we looked at that is is applied to jesus uh, it's actually used seven times total in the in the gospel. Two times it's used in chapter uh, five, where it talks about the water being stirred up at the pool, right? So, but the rest of it is uh, in 11, 12, and 13 is applied to Jesus in every single one of those cases. And it seems to be there a word that is that relates to his emotional response to something that he sees intellectually. So so something he sees something going on like the reaction of the disciples and Mary and Martha to the death of Lazarus, for example, right? He gets stirred up emotionally from that. So it's not an emotion that's sort of detached from things. It's a strong emotional reaction that's attached to, to something that he has seen. And that's in this case, in chapter 11, that's disappointing to him, that, that unbelief. Okay? <clears throat> so what we saw, and this is what I, was trying to get through last time that I found to be so comforting is that in chapter 11 that word's applied there when he sees their unbelief right even even of, of, of those closest to him in chapter 12 he is he's disturbed at, at what is coming the cross you know is coming the hour is coming and, and I'm, I'm I'm agitated I'm using he, he uses that term and then in chapter 17 as he is getting ready or is telling them about the betrayal of Judas, that same word appears again. Okay. So in all in all those cases, something that Jesus knows causes his strong emotional agitation and, and, and to be to be disturbed, you might say. Okay. In this chapter, chapter 14. This word appears again twice, once in our verse, verse one, and then again in verse 27. 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, agitated, disturbed, right? Again, <clears throat> very comforting verse, right? A lot of people, yeah, that's a hallmark verse right there. We like to put that in cards and preach that at funerals and so on. But what we saw, put all this together, <clears throat> Jesus was disturbed because of some things that he saw that he heard, that he that he saw in these circumstances. But for us, the opposite is the case, right? And and we go on, we see that in the rest of that verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled, right? So stop. This really literally means stop being agitated, right? Stop being so disturbed and despondent and despairing. And, and being confused, all of these, it's not just one emotion, it's many emotions that are rushing through them, all, most of the negative, right, you know, uh, emotions, as, as it, it feels like cold water, you know, after you get out of a hot tub or something, you know, your body doesn't know what to do, you know, 
and 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 so he doesn't stop there and say, okay, well, let's go. He gives them, even in this verse, and then in the chapters to come, reasons why they are not to be disturbed like that. See, and 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 that's true not just for them, but for us as well. And and, and the rest of the verse goes on to say, there's a ground, a, a soil, you might say, for this peace in your heart. And so, in other words, for the Christian, and for many years, you know, I was kind of confused about, well, what does it mean to have this peace? Everybody's talking about peace, and, and I don't want to steal from getting to verse 27, because that'll be really great when we talk about this. But since these two verses are connected by that phrase, the peace that we have as Christians and the joy is not rooted in circumstances. It's rooted in today in who God is. And what he has said. And things that, and here's what's important now, things that you know about who he is and what he has said. That's important because the body of truth about God stands written and it's there. It's, it's independent of you. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's founded and written and, and God is unchanged and unmoved. But you can still be disturbed often as a Christian if you don't know those things yourself or believe them yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where the trick is, right? That's why it's so important for us as believers. Now I keep harping this point, but it's so the older I get, the more I see the wisdom of God to, to, to command us to get together regularly mm -hmm. because we need to remind each other of who God is and what he has said. Because we forget, mm -hmm. you know, we get the dust of the world. Remember we talked about the washing of feet in one of the, Beautiful metaphors from that is, is we wash each other's feet when we get together through the word of God and through encouragement. This is what the Lord did. The Lord answered my prayer this week. And, and, and hear that from somebody else. It's like, well, maybe, maybe he'll answer my prayer. I've been praying for years about this thing, but you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's important. Um, it's, not, it's not that my perception of those things changes them. If I forget how big God is and I get wrapped up in circumstances and I'm all emotionally disturbed and agitated and 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 maybe for me a lot of times it's anger, you know, and I don't know, you know, or whatever the reaction is, <laughs> that doesn't change God. He isn't now suddenly diminished. Yeah. See, it, 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 he's he is who he, but what what I what needs to change is my perspective in that circumstance, right? So that's what we're trying to get through. Last time, and this, this again, like I say, this will come up again and again. And this is what he's doing in these chapters now. From here on, is he's changing their perspective. He's 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 washed their feet physically. Now he's going to wash them spiritually. He's going to take the word of God, the promises of God. He's going to unveil and reveal in the next verse some things that they didn't know, and amplify some things that they had some vague notions about. You know, like I said, they. They they kind of knew something. They, they knew they they knew that when Messiah comes and he brings the kingdom, it's going to be wonderful. And every every Jew wanted that, right? Everybody wanted. It. What they didn't know was were the specifics, uh, you know, who the Messiah was, and and the specifics about how all of that would unfold. And he begins in the next verse to help them with telling them some truths about that. People, I think it's cool in 27. He says that again, but it's right on the tail end of him saying about the, the Holy Spirit. That, mm. 
you know, he says, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave you boys, but you know, he's hammered them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're probably a lot to take in, you know. I remember being in, in class and all of a sudden they throw it throw out some new information. You're like, when I just barely got what I needed to know there. Now you're going, that's what I feel like they're doing. And they've just been handled with all this stuff and they probably got the big deer in the headlight look. But he turns right around and tells them not to do not let your heart be troubled. And he also puts in 27 or afraid or and afraid and afraid. So we know anybody said that. But I'm just saying that's he, he gives you this and then he says this. He gives you this and then he says this. You know, and he I don't think he <clears throat> he did it for a reason, but I'm just saying he just fell out really perfect because it's like all this he give them. Then he's talking they're talking about the Holy Spirit coming in and he's going away and that, that's still on the back of their heads and they're going, Oh my gosh, you know, I thought you were gonna be the king and rule and and all this, and then and then he hits me that again. Do not let your heart be troubled. You know, repetition is a major key in scripture. It really is. Yes, it really is. And and he has a lot of repetition in here where he brings up it's like popcorn. He, he sort of well, I think the illustration I used some time back was uh, uh, maybe this is a bad one. Whack a hole, you know. Yeah. You got like six holes, and one guy, oh, you know, and then the next one pops up. It's kind of like that here too, where Jesus brings up. One idea, you know, about about what's coming in the future, and he deals with that, and then and then a different idea comes up, you know, and the Holy Spirit comes up on on numerous occasions. When the first time we encounter the Holy Spirit, I'm already working on on notes where we're going to come back and review. We'll take a moment to review all that we learn about the Holy Spirit from the Gospel of John, okay, um, directly. But the Holy Spirit is very much involved in all the Gospels, but John behind the scenes okay so there's, there's a lot of that indirect evidence of the holy spirit but what he says directly about the holy spirit but the point is the holy spirit is one is, is a good example because you're right he does come up here and then he says some other things and then he comes up again and he adds to what has been said already and it's a it's a brilliant way of of helping people process a lot of information especially when they're trying to wrestle their emotions you know it's really hard to listen intently to somebody when your emotions are going crazy it is you know that's really hard to do that and i think the lord <clears throat> he knows that in fact he says in there i have more to say to you but you can't bear it now but the holy spirit will help you right so so the comforter will come he will he will and the paraclete will look at that it's a very interesting word there's no exact english uh, translation of that but um it, it encompasses a lot not only will he teach you but he's a character witness uh, it's very interesting, but um, he will help you. And the point is, I'm not, you guys don't have to figure this out on your own, right? I'm not leaving you, you know, to, to just, you know, struggle through until until we, until I come back for you. And that's good. All right. Anyway, point is, point, what I'm trying to get to, that, and we get any further than that verse one, because that's such a powerful concept where he says, let not your hearts be agitated sense or because you believe in God um, so, some translations I think used to say if you believe in God but it it, it 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 does have a sense that you believe in God or trust in God and if he says and we says the same thing right mm -hmm. trust in God trust also in me that same trust that you have in God the Father who's been who's been the one behind everything you've heard me say and the works that I've done, all these miracles. You, you, you trust him. Trust me, because now I'm about to tell you some things 
that are going to give you the foundation for peace and joy in your life. Okay? You're agitated and disturbed now because you don't know some things. And thank the Lord that he went on and, and didn't, didn't just leave him with verse 33. I'm going away like I told my enemies, the Jews, you can't come. Bye. Right? He, he takes the time. He, he and his, from chapter 12, remember, he is agitated himself and, and feeling this very same word himself about the cross. And he has been feeling that as the cross is getting closer and closer. In these chapters, there's no hint of that. Jesus sets aside all his own emotional disturbance about the cross and about Judas and about Peter and the rest of them. Uh, uh, um, you know, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter and, you know, all of that. He sets all of his own emotions aside and comforts them with these truths. And I think behind this, though, is the same comfort that the Lord himself took. And that's why I think it's what it means in Hebrews when it says that the Lord, uh, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He didn't look forward to the cross. He wasn't excited about when we see that in the garden, right? John doesn't tell us anything about the, the, the sweat, you know, the, the, the sweat, the blood sweat mixed together. And, and, the, and the Lord, if it's your father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. John doesn't tell us any of that because the other gospels do a good job of that. But all of that is there and all it's all coming. He didn't look forward to the cross itself. He didn't want to go humanly, okay? But he went anyway, and why? Because he knows what's coming to, and he can take some measure of joy in that, and he shares that now with them. He's so they can do. He's also doing the will of Father, so he right. might not want to not not do the will what the Father wants. I can't stress this enough because, um, I think in 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 in, in the church at large, at least in the West, maybe because we live in such an affluent culture, we we have lost the joy of heaven. You know what what is coming, and 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 really looking forward to that. And life, my life is great, man. Things are going great, and you know what I'm saying. Got plenty of food and nice house, and you know, watered down. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's easy to get sort of just, you know, head down, wrapped up in this world, and you're not thinking about the world to come. But there are times in which for every person, for, for unbelievers, it's one thing because they don't have a hope. But for believers, things are going to come into your life that take away that that shine of this world, right? And, and, that, and that you're just like, wow, oh, I'm glad this isn't all there is. You know, I'm glad that there is so much better and that God is in the business of in his time and in his way, bringing everything round to Christ. He's going to sum up everything in Christ. He's going to fix all the wrongs eventually. And so we as believers, uh, it's good to remind us of that. Um, and, 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 but we lose sight of that. And, um, um, and so I think, I think generally in the churches, we've got this sort of, you know, Jesus now that that's uh hey you know if you if you have any sadness whatever come to Jesus he'll fix it that's almost like a drug right like take your Jesus pill and you'll feel better 
Because it, Christians aren't supposed to be unhappy because you're supposed to have joy and peace, right? So if you're feeling any joy and peace, it's, you know, something wrong with you. Take your Jesus pill, you'll feel better. Uh -uh, no. The truth of, you can still feel those emotions, but they will they will eventually um, come back around. It wasn't, Bruce was talking, I thought that was really good the other night about the faith, the facts, the faith, or the facts, Faith and feelings, remember. And, and if if your if you if your faith is following the facts of the truth of God's word, let that lead you, and the feelings will follow eventually, right? But when you turn around, and you're facing those feelings, and and who knows where they go, right? Like a like a balloon, you let the air out of them, just all over the room, you know. You no wonder so many people uh, have this emotional. Roller coaster life is like a little roller coaster for them, right? Rather than being grounded and solid, because they're putting their their vision on the circumstances and their feelings and how they feel about and just emote instead of looking at Christ, hearing His word, obeying it, regardless of how the feelings are and the circumstances look, and letting and putting your trust and faith in God. That's so important. In other words, Jesus is not a pill, right? He's a person. He's it's truth. That we that we embrace, not magic in church. That we come and we do our little thing, and poof, I, I feel better. Thank you. See you next week, and I'll get my next dose. Right. I'm just saying that's exactly right. This, that's way too long church hopping. Yeah, that's right. Okay. This, yeah. Oh, we don't want that. So we hear this. No, here doing this. And... That's right. That's right. As long as long as the music's good, that's why I think there's so much an emphasis on. You, you know me, you know I love music. I love music, right? And and, and I love excited, enthusiastic, or deep, profound music. Um, but I can't rely on music to just like take the place of the word of God and the Holy Spirit applying it to people's hearts in the church, right? This is the centerpiece of, of, of who we are and what we do because it's it's knowing these truths that become the soil out of which the peace and joy, lasting peace and real joy, not necessarily happiness, but joy, grows. Can't stress it enough. All right, let's move on, because we do need to move on in the text. Um, next point in our outline, this is the next two verses, right? Okay, so, let not your hearts be agitated. Since you believe in God, believe also in me. Trust God, trust me. I'm about to tell you some things now, guys, you didn't know. Okay, and this will be what you can hide in, even as you feel the emotions and, and the depression of the next few days when Christ has died and he's laying dead, cold, and tuned. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm sorry, if if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So just like he told Peter to clarify verse 33, remember, Jesus, Peter's so upset with verse 33. In verse 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Now, but you will later, right? So, and, and, and for Peter, it's, and for every believer, it's the way of the cross. It's the road of the cross. It's the difficulties and struggles of this life 
amplified in many cases by the fact that you're a witness for Jesus and you will suffer some persecution for that. Okay? And God has some... <laughs> Sign up for Camp Jesus because we have custom-made painting just for you, right? So the Lord has a has a race marked out for us, right? And when you're running a race, there, there are times where you're just tired. It's painful, right? But but um, the end is where he's taking them. He's giving them an idea of what's at the end. This is not the end, okay? And when I said I'm going away, I'm going away for the purpose of preparing a place for you to come live with yes with me but as we as we progress we're going to see that the focus is taking us where to the father <clears throat> when we do <clears throat> talk about heaven and and you know we sing about it we sing about the pearly gates and the mansions and the sky and the streets of gold and we get all kind of confused and mixed up because we've read revelation and we see the nearest thing to what most people think of as heaven described there as a, as a, a city by the way the dimensions of that city are given to us and and it is it would barely fit on the north american continent you think about that it's just like 1200 miles squares and not only this way, but up. It's miles and miles and miles high. Is that what we're going to be living? That is that is the capital city of where you're going to be living. Ultimately. Okay? So we're going to be living in a city. Yeah. Man's time starts in a garden and ends in a city. So do you think there'll be trees and flowers in heaven? <laughs> Let's stay focused on, on, on what the Lord says here. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Most people think of heaven as the end goal of redemption and being in Christ and everything. But Jesus straightens out our thinking throughout this gospel by telling us the end goal is really what? The Father! I am the way, verse 6, right? I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to heaven but through me. Nobody comes into the in Jerusalem but through me. No, no, to the Father, right? The Father, we're so enamored with this. You know, you think there'd be flowers? I'm not picking on just you, baby. I, I'm, I've been there too. And I, the reason I hammer the point is I used to think that way too. As a kid, you, you, you talk about heaven and, and you got this. Picture that somewhere up there is this big golden city floating up there somewhere, and that's where I'm going to go. And, and ooh, it would be wonderful. I had this, my wife loves real, I, I do too. We all like nice, fancy houses. We built one or something, you know, or you know, if you if you want to see more of those, you go up to Newport, Rhode Island, like we did, and you can see more big mansions from the Gilded Age. And that's kind of, you know, we think, oh, that's just nothing, man. I can watch too much. Jesus is like, yeah, there's a place for you. But the joy of heaven is going to be with God. To be able to, and, and that's what is so exciting when you read the description there at the end of John and that angel, you know, takes him on a tour of the New Jerusalem and, and he sees the gates and the foundations and how big the city is and everything and, and all of that. But the thing that is most impressive about all of that description is that it says that his servants will serve him and they will see his face. And it's it talks about both of them. It says the father and the son. 
are there. And there'll be no temple because they are the temple. Right? There's no more temple. There's no more barriers. We share the same address. And there will be plenty. If John gives us the dimensions. It's huge, like I said. Plenty of room. But again, it's not all of the, the, um, the garnish and, and the, the, uh, the beauty of heaven that is the real, the real um, meat, you might say, or the weight of that experience is God himself. He is the best gift he can give us. Yes, right. I think the reason you decided the script was to show us how much that he loves. And I think I think that's why the streets the streets of gold and the gates that are made out of jasper and all this fine rude is to show how much he loves us. It's not just a, de a desert, a desolate place, mm -hmm. but it's a place that he is prepared, especially for each individual. That, that's, I think that's why that's in there. That's a really good point because it it is helping us, and, 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 and that accords with what Paul says in the first three chapters of Ephesians in our, in our work Bible study, verses starting Ephesians. So, expression in my mind. And as I'm getting back into that, I'm, I'm watching Paul unpack all of these financial terms. He talks about the riches of, of Christ, the riches of his grace, the riches of his mercy. And he, Paul likens himself to a steward, like he's an executor of this vast estate that we are all inheritors of, right? It's part of your inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you, Peter says, right? And 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 he's unpacking this. And, and when he finally comes to the, the heart of it in chapter 3, what he says is, my prayer is that you, together with all the saints, will grab how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of God in Christ. He doesn't say that you'll grab how long and how wide and how big the new Jerusalem is. It's the love of God. And that's a great point, Larry, that the worth of that city, imagine a city that's that big, made of solid gold. How expensive is that? Can you put a price tag on that? That's worth more than all the treasures in the world. Come on. You, but it, it, it's not the, the wealth of the city, but the wealth of the city as an example of how matchlessly priceless his love is for his people. And and in in, in a trinitarian love, he has to describe that because we're physical beings. That's right. So saying Jasper, I mean, you know, the description we can relate to that, and that we can understand that. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So he's put he's not surprisingly the Lord's uh, scripture is full of metaphors like that, right? Always, always trying to help us understand spiritual truths. With, with physical realities that we kind of do understand, and that's so we can apply that to, to understanding the truth there. Great point, Larry. Really great point. Uh, you get the gold star day. Sorry, baby. Sorry. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. It's my birthday. Yes, that's right. You better I'll give you the gold star. That's the conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Well, what I'm thinking is, um, you know, it is being with God and His people. Mm, yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. what's right. because 
it's the same way when we haven't seen our kids for a long time. It's just like we'd rather spend time with them as to going to a place. Mm -hmm. You know, I, that's why I like family vacation. Going to a new place and seeing stuff, it's spending time with those you love. Amen. That's good. So to me, that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be seeing Mukti and Gammon, all the people we love. Uh, and being up there with Jesus and God the Father. And that's what heaven, that's what's going to be heaven. I and mean, that's heaven. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And and that's what is, is so precious about that statement in, in Hebrews, if I'm understanding right, which I think I do, and I think there's other parts of scripture, all the scripture, the witness of scripture backs this up. Is that is that God takes, think about this now. God takes sincere joy in you. <clears throat> Not fate. Remember, how did we start chapter 13, right? He loved them to the max. It's not, it's not based on you, right? It's not, it's not based on you. He has chosen to set his love upon you and he can't wait to show you what's coming. He's more excited about you being in heaven than you are being there. No, that's pretty mind blowing. But but he is he is uh, go. the writer of Hebrews says for the joy set what what was the joy set before him? He endured the cross. Why did he have to go to the cross? Well, the Father in obedience to the Father. So yes. The cross, there is a sense in which the cross shows Christ's love for the Father to be willing to go to that point of an obedience to him. But the Father and the Son had to do this to pave the way for us to be reconciled to them. And I believe that that joy that, that is talking about there is the reconciliation. Because the, the, the writer of Hebrews talks about bringing <laughs> chapter 2 of Hebrews. Bringing many sons to glory that please the Father to 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 uh, um, perfect their the, the captain of their salvation, right? So, in other words, the, God's big plan is He's got all of these people that He has selected out and sinful, undeserving enemies that He has chosen to set His love on, and 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 He's He's working and drawing them out, and and it's completed in Christ, and after. After Paul uses the illustration of marriage again in, in Ephesians, right? Uh, he talks about marriage as, as a mystery. It's been it's been a truth that's that was there all along, but now is revealed. And what's that? It's Christ and His Church. It's Christ and His body. Uh, the thing that changes for us, uh, everything changes when you get married. Her debts become your debts. Her inheritance becomes your inheritance, right? So that you take the pluses and the minuses together. Uh, and the Lord has done that with us. He has taken on our debt, right? And he paid for that on the cross. And we share in the inheritance that he gets. That's astounding. And, and, and the biggest part of that inheritance is the Father himself. The Father gives us himself. That is, there's no greater treasure than God. That's true. John Piper <clears throat> says it this way. I thought it was really powerful. He says, if you could have all of the riches and wealth and pain-free suffering and, and, and 
end of death and everything that heaven offers without Christ or without God, would you want it? I think it's a good way of, of, of helping us in our own hearts to say, what am I really after here? You know, we talk about, I want to, you know, I want to die and accept Jesus so I can go to heaven. Why do you want to go to heaven? If you go to heaven in your in your current sinful state, that's a bad place to be. But if you go to heaven in Christ, now just like being in marriage, you know, uh, married, um, it changes our legal standing. You know, before you weren't in the family, now you're a member of the family, right? Everything changes in Christ, and and that's that's the that's the whole idea. Write down this um, as well, if you're in your notes there. Um, I wish I had put this in our notes, but Psalm 73, 25 and 26. We actually have a little chorus that we sing uh, based on this scripture, and you can turn there if you like. Uh, Psalm 73, little verse in the middle of Psalms, kind of tucked away in there, but it really gives us some profound insight into the real joy of heaven, okay? Uh, and David's putting that up there. Um, 25, 26. 25, 26, yes, sir. Right. Whom have I in heaven? What? But you. I desire nothing. I desire you. You want to go to east? Uh, you want to go to something? That's fine. That's easy, right? 25, 26, there's here. nothing on the ESV says, and there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. There's the ESV, right? We we have a chorus that sings just you know it's like that. And then my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You hear the you hear the hope there. They, they, the, the again the root of our joy and our peace and our hope in this world has nothing to do with circumstances. And has everything to do with who God is and what he has said. So, so important. I believe Satan is hard at work getting Christians to misunderstand that. So short of keeping you out of heaven, the next best thing he can do is keep, keep you from experiencing heaven now. By getting you wrapped up in the world and all the circumstances and your emotions and everything, Right. And I have to listen, I remind myself of this all the time. I'm always having to come back to that place again, who God is and what he has said, his promises. And the psalmist here is, is expressing that. Whom have I in heaven but you? What is the joy of heaven? Heaven is, listen, this is important. Heaven is not so much a place as it is a presence. We got we to gotta unwind our thinking of thinking of heaven as this little golden city in the sky. You know, even though Jesus says, oh, where I'm, going, where, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That's fine. That's just a place. That's your inheritance and things that, you know, that are part of. But as Larry wisely said, it is an expression of the real joy of heaven, the real wealth of heaven, which is God's love and who he is. He is the joy of heaven. He is the one that he is the, the best gift that he can give. Isn't that awesome? C.S. Lewis said it this way. The man who has God and has nothing has no more than the man who has, I'm uh, sorry. The man who has God and everything has no more than the man who has God alone. 
He's expressing the same truth. Okay. What what these quotes are and what the psalm are all trying to get at again is, is why do you want to go to heaven? Is it so you can back to our chapter, right? Uh, in verse two there, verses two and three. Is it so you can get all those wonderful mansions that Jesus is preparing for me? Oh, I just can't wait to get my mansion. You, what are you going to do? Run right by Jesus? Thank you. <laughs> you kidding me? This is the one who died for you. You are there except for the massive price that he paid for you to be there when you didn't deserve it. And you're just going to, you know, slap him a high five as you're on your way to your mansion. And yet that's just kind of almost the attitude we get when we do talk about heaven in, 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 in many cases in the church today. We're just so uh, so screwed up. About it. And I can see Satan behind that. Helping us to, to lose sight of what really matters about what's coming. Now, if all of this is true, which I believe it is, there's an interesting application here, and that is, if, listen, if the joy of heaven and the peace of heaven is something that is tied to God and not to where I am physically located, even in a new body, that means that I can begin to experience that joy and peace no matter where I am. Right? That even means in this life. Interesting, as we, again, as Jesus unpacks this, he's not going to say, my peace, I'm going to give you, verse 27, right? My peace, I give you now. I'll give it, uh, this is a different kind of peace, is what he's saying. He's not saying, I'm giving you the same kind of peace the world gives you, I'm just giving you a different way. No, it's a different kind of peace as to its character. It's a very different kind of peace than what the world gives you. So believers, because we get all screwed up about this and we're miserable because we're looking at circumstances rather than looking at Christ, uh, we just think, oh, well, maybe one day I'll finally be, you know, experience this joy and peace that everybody's talking about in heaven. Maybe you need to unwind your thinking on that first. And, and experience it now. Um, yeah. All right. So back to our verses. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where it is a collective side of relieving the rain. Remember, he's told them, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot come now. Okay. You will come later. I'm going to come. I'm going to prepare a place. And it would be stupid. If I were to go prepare a place for you, but you never arrive, right? I'm going to come back and I'm going to also, and this is the clue they should have been picking up on, but again, it's hard to think, right? And they're, they're still trying to figure this out. Uh, so he has to spell it out plain and simple in verse six, where he says, I am the way, right? So this is this is this is a this is him saying, I am the way in a different way, right? I'm gonna I'm preparing the place. But I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to make sure that you get there. Say, even though they get confused with, Lord, if we don't know where you're going and how how we know how to get there, I just told you I'm going to come get you. Yeah. That's right, little little. And he's so patient. He's so patient. With them. Again, they're just they're emotionally all over the place. They don't know how to. Process all. It's going to take many years, enough, and the Holy Spirit gently working with them to help them understand. And isn't that great that you put in there that I will come to get you? Because, like, um, 
when mom was in the nursing home, and they'd seen angels say, Can you let angels that are around when the angels came into Jesus himself came and he said, I will come get you. And he came in that room right there. We were standing there. Her dad saying the same thing about me, Yeah, I mean, Jesus she died alone in the room physically, but she just wasn't alone. She just wasn't alone. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, but, you know, I'm glad they put that in there. All of the, this whole story is so wonderful. It's mm -hmm. hard to put your mind around it. It's hard to grasp it. It's it's beyond good news. It's beyond yeah. nice things. It's, it, it is so extreme. And now he's saying he's getting ready to leave them. And they are, are stranded now in this fog, if you will, of what are we going to do? He's not going to be here. He's going to be gone and stuff. But he tells them there, he says, listen, if these things were not so, I would have told you. I am not pulling the wool over your eyes and waiting you get to heaven to find out this is not, this is absolutely true. If it were not true, I would not have told you folks. That's right. That's right. That's why he says, trust me. <laughs> trust God. What's that? Who gets the unsafe people when they have this? Jesus comes to them too. Thank you, Tim. You know, we're not told that scripture. All right. Well, that's, that's, um, it's, there's so much here. <laughs> well, I got three verses, but it's good. But it's good. Good stuff. But the, the, the main, the main, hold on a second. Main point, and I think the main takeaway here is again, and we're going to see this in verse six. The joy of heaven is not the place Jesus is preparing for you. You're not, you will, it will be wonderful. I don't, you know, what John saw in New Jerusalem and everything is going to be fantastic. What, how, what the Lord does to this earth before he destroys it and builds a new heaven and earth and the New Jerusalem for that. Uh, for a thousand years and anyway, will be wonderful to see. But the real center of gravity of your joy and peace then is the same as it is now. It's God. And you can experience that now. Amen. And you don't have to wait for them. Okay? And I think so many Christians are screwed up in that and the devil has got a lot of that truth because he wants you to be miserable now. Right? Okay, all right. I'm afraid that you ended there on. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Again, I see that as Jesus. Jesus love for us. It's, it's a continual thing. He's preparing. It's not like you snap your fingers and it's all done. Amen. That's a preparing. That's a that's a continual thing that he is doing, I believe, until he comes and gets us. And, and he'll continue that. Prepared until he called his home. So he didn't say prepared. He said preparing. Good point. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that again just shows how much that he loves. We're 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 constantly on his thoughts and his mind and preparing. Back to what my my wife said and and you know imagine. You know, we have songs about that, taking a tour of heaven and Jesus showing you what he's prepared for you. You know, as you as you see that, and, and there are stories of very wealthy men. I've, you know, I've kind of did this a little bit. We built a house together. And, you know, 
but the stories of very wealthy men who built a great, you know, uh, uh, palace for their favorite wife. You know, apparently, for example, uh, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, right? And he built that for one of his wives who, who was used to, she grew up in the mountains, and there were any mountains there, and she was kind of finding a way. So he built this whole mountain, you know, with waterfalls and trees and natural air conditioning and everything, supposedly according to legend. And he shows, imagine him taking her through all of this wonder of the grandeur of the hanging gardens. And, and that's an expression of his love. love for her, right? Now, if she has a brain in her head, she's going to be thankful for the hanging gardens and enjoy that. But the real joy of it is knowing he did it for her. He did it for her. Right? That's the joy of heaven. Father, thank you so much for this amazing, unfathomable. Paul struggles for words to describe it in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. So many superlatives. It's just we run out of words to describe the richness and the depth and the, and the worth of your love for us so much bigger than the average concept floating around out there the gospel of Jesus. You offer so much, and we thank you that it's not dependent on us to see it. The disciples didn't understand their heads are swirling. Our heads are swirling. But we thank you that, nevertheless, you are preparing a place, not just for them, as Larry said, for us as well. We continue to prepare that place and one day, you will take us there. We thank you that you are the joy, the root of our joy and peace and hope even now. That even now, we could see your love and begin to taste that and begin to experience it now. I pray that we would walk in this and not allow the world of flesh and the devil to distract us and to bring us back down to these places of, of, of emotional despair where we see no way out. But but to recognize that even when we go through the darkness, you are there, you experience it with us, and on the other side is a joy and a peace and a love beyond description and that we can taste now, even as we go through the darkest times. Help us to walk in this truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.